everyone loves it because the words here are beautiful about God's covenant that's made with the Jews, even though they're in exile. And it's a constant reminder that God keeps God's promises. God's promise is eternal and is always there for us. Hebrews, I actually love this passage, not from a preaching standpoint, but from a from a historical one. Jesus gets called a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And you're probably wondering, who is Melchizedek? Because aside from this text, he's only mentioned two more times in the Bible, in Genesis and in Psalms. Melchizedek was the king of Salem, not this Salem, uh, the king of Jerusalem, before it was called Jerusalem. And he is also identified as the priest of El Elyon, which means God is blessed, exactly. Which means God is blessed. And when Abram comes to visit him, uh, Melchizedek blesses Abram, and God reward, or Melchizedek rewards Abram's blessing. Or, I, sorry, I'm backwards. No! Uh, you're right. You're backwards. Uh, Abram visits Melchizedek, and Melchizedek blesses him. And a reward for Melchizedek's blessing, Abraham pays a tithe. And it's a reminder that even Abram, who was the patriarch of the Jewish faith, he tithed to Melchizedek. This passage is identified in Jesus' priestly order because he wasn't a Jewish priest, he was a rabbi. And the Jews who are reading the book of Hebrews, you know, that it's important that he does have priestly responsibility. So he's identified here as a priest of Melchizedek, which is a reference from Psalm. And in John's Gospel, which I am preaching on today, and which does not require a lot of theological gymnastics, uh, you have the Greeks visiting at Passover, which I talked a little bit with the kids in the children's sermon. This is really important because up to this point, Jesus's ministry has really been kind of a Jewish ministry. It's, it's a Jewish ministry for Jewish people. And the Greeks, who are, you know, the, the uh, holders of the Roman Empire, they run everything. They want to learn more about it, and, and God knows Jesus really gives it to them, and we're going to talk about that in the sermon but it's a reminder that God's love really is for everyone. It's not constrained by, by ethnic bounds. It's not a, a tribal thing. Uh, this is kind of the first sign right before Jesus is about to die that the kingdom of God is not just for one group of people, it's for all people. All right, maybe seated. As many of you know, I am a voracious reader. But in addition to reading, I also follow the trend of bookselling. And perhaps the most popular category of books right now is the young adult dystopia. You have probably heard me give more than one sermon on The Hunger Games, which I enjoyed both the books and the movies. There are others out now, such as the Divergent and Maze Runner series, respectively, which are quite popular. Yet the best young adult dystopia I've ever read, indeed one of the best books I've ever read, was ahead of its time when it came out 20 years ago. It was The Giver by Lois Lowry. Has anyone ever read that? It was recommended in my school, or it was required in my school, and it is an excellent emotionally devastating book. I'll never forget the first time I read it, finishing it on a cold, rainy Christmas Eve afternoon when I was 13, 
overwhelmed with emotion at the book's nature. For those of you unfamiliar with the plot, <coughs> the giver is set in the nearby future, but one without flying cars or crazy inventions. People generally live like they live now. The only difference is that humanity is stripped of all emotion. Building a society that is devoid of war, class, and hunger, along with music, color, and love, the communities, as they are called, promote a culture of sameness. It is in this society that we meet a boy named Jonas. At the age of 12, Jonas, like the other children, is sent to be assigned a life career by the Council of Elders. However, to his and his community's surprise, he is not given a career, but instead is sent to learn as an apprentice under a man known as the Giver, who holds the memories of the communities before they change. Now, the Giver shares the memories of this time in a way that allows Jonas not just a mental experience, but a sensory one. He learns how to feel happiness at the joy of Christmas and at sledding down the hill in the cold snow. He also learns to feel pain in a way that his people now do not. I'll never forget the vivid scene of Jonas being burned and the agony that he endured so he could understand what physical discomfort truly meant. Above everything else, Jonas learns to be empathetic especially when he sees the job his father has in maintaining the sameness of the communities. The horror of it causes him to rebel, and with the help of the giver to flee to another land, along with an infant child. I won't spoil the ending, but it is a moving and at times profound work of young adult literature, and I definitely recommend you read it. Sir, we wish to see Jesus say the Greeks, who barge in on the Passover, Passover festival in today's Gospel reading from John. And this is not just any Passover, but this is the last Passover Jesus will celebrate before he is to be betrayed and killed. I actually admire the courage of these people. It'd be like someone coming into a Christmas Eve service demanding to see the pastor five minutes before it begins. I get where they're coming from. They want to know more about the man from Galilee, especially at this important moment before he is to be killed. And it shows a shift that is about to begin in Christianity, which will resonate well after the events of Holy Week. For at the time of Jesus' death, the established order was that the Greeks ran everything. The Roman Empire had conquered Israel and Hellenized everything in its path, similar to a culture of sameness. The Greeks in this story are like Jonas. They seek a new order and a new God. And the fact that they run into Philip and Andrew is not an accident, as those two apostles were the first ones to bring the Jews to see Jesus in John's Gospel. And now, they are introducing the Greeks. Jesus is pushing his movement past the bonds of tribal religion with an understanding that the God he serves is a God for everyone, a God for you and for me. That is exciting stuff to hear. 
It's brand new to those who are not Jewish. And it shows that the God we believe in is a God not of tribal loyalty, but of faithfulness. And a, a God who teaches respect for the neighbor who is different. However, while this all sounds well and good, the message the Greeks received today is not. Jesus' soul is troubled because he is about to be betrayed and killed. His last words prophesy to the very manner of his death. For as we have talked about frequently in this Lenten season, death and life are inextricably linked with Jesus Christ. Just as we cannot understand pain without the joys of pleasure, so we cannot understand the grace of God without the bitterness of death. Holy Week, which we turn our attention to next week, is not meant to be uplifting. It's meant to remind us of the cost of life. Our Messiah does not cheat death. There are no shortcuts. He very much dies as we will die. But this is why I like the giver so much and why it makes me think of today's gospel. For Jesus forces us to contend with the entire cycle of human life. There is no greater example of the fallibility of our nature than folks worshiping Jesus during his entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and nailing him to the cross on Good Friday. That is inherently who we are. Peter can be Jesus' closest disciple one minute and deny him the next. And for us, as we balance the faith that comes in Christ through baptism, the struggle we create to hold on to that faith. But through it all, the road leads to the cross, and that's what Jesus is saying in this text, that in following him, death and life are linked, but there is always, always, the promise of new life. And that is the gift of the gospel. Every time I read the Easter story in every one of the four gospels, the tomb is always empty. Jesus has risen, and Jesus will come again, and that promise is there not just for his Jewish followers, but also for the Greek visitors, and for us today. It is for all people. Where there is death, there is always new life in Christ, for God has made it so. That doesn't mean we don't go through trials, but it means we have a God who very much understands what our trials are like, and walks with us through them and loves us anyway. So as we look towards Holy Week, Monday Thursday dinner at 7, Good Friday service at 7, Easter Sunday at 10 a.m., let us look to Holy Week with the understanding of the sorrow that will come and the joy that will follow. With pleasure comes pain, and with life comes death, but with Jesus we always have the resurrection and we have the promise of new and eternal life. Even at our worst, let us never lose sight of the giving Messiah who is always at his best. Amen.